Thanks so much for joining Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we're welcomed by Panta Alvahidi, who is the founder of the Compassion Clinic. And Panta Al, we've had you on before talking about compassion in healthcare, which is something that you are so passionate about. And so you have a model, and you said that the keys to bringing that back into really any aspect of life are to respond, relieve, and resolve. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to those three components as tools for adding and using compassion? Thank you for having me. Um, I'm honored to be here. Just a quick recap for our audience who haven't listened to the previous session. So this makes sense is the Vahidi compassion model is an essentially a reverse engineered framework of compassionate behaviors. So we talk about compassion a lot. We all intrinsically know that it's one of the most beautiful virtues. And we also know scientifically that it's a very powerful evidence-based intervention that has many well-being benefits. Now, as a former bedside nurse, what I noticed is that the gap is how can we be compassionate? We talk about uh, go be compassionate, and we often leave it up to people to figure out how. And although we are all innately compassionate, it's hard to be compassionate under chronic and long um, stress levels, which is present in healthcare. So I try to give people the how by observing what are some of the interactions and behaviors between patients and providers, or even peers with peers that are very powerful and impactful. And I summarized it into a model of, first off, defining compassion as having empathy and taking action. So I know a lot of times these parallel constructs are used interchangeably, but to understand that compassion is a step further and it's how we take action when we feel or understand someone's situation. Now, empathy in and of itself is a huge topic, which I'm, not, I'm just gonna uncover the surface of it, but my passion relies in how can we take action in response to those sufferings that we see and come upon. And last time we talked about one of those three, which is responding. And like you said, the three different ways we could show our compassion is respond, resolve, and relieve. Now, for those of you who haven't heard about respond, there's another episode about it, but today we're going to dive in about resolve and relieve. How's that for a recap? Yeah, that's, that's excellent, Pandya. And, and, you know, I mean, and you're talking about all these interrelated terms, right? We're talking about empathy and uh, we're talking about uh, possibly respect. We're talking about kindness as well. Maybe we'll touch on love also. And, you know, and sometimes we use these terms interchangeably, but I know you have some very specific thoughts around them. I think the right. one one thought that I was coming to me as you were talking about that is, what about the simple act of acknowledgement? Is that built into respond? You know, sometimes that's all we want. You know, it's the, 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 the person on the other end isn't necessarily suffering in any particular way. Uh, 
you know, they may just be a patient or it may, it may just be, you know, outside of a healthcare scenario. It may just be a colleague or a friend. And so often we don't even take the time to even acknowledge each other and just, you know, be, be friendly with each other, uh, have courtesy and respect for each other. So do you consider those to be separate things? Are they part of compassion? Maybe you can help us start from there. Absolutely, they're part of being compassionate. And part of the respond element, when I expand on it, I know we spent a short amount of time on it last time, but when I expand on it in full day workshops, another piece of it is not just acknowledging, but sometimes your presence, your mere presence, and you choosing to stay in an uncomfortable situation rather than leaving, that in and of itself is a form of response because you made the decision to stay in a difficult situation when you just gave a horrible news to the patient. It's easy to leave the room and not deal with that difficult scenario, but to stay and just be there and offer yourself and your presence and to your point, acknowledge them and acknowledge their pain. That's a form of responding. Another form of responding, which we didn't get into is advocating. You know, there's nothing you can do for that person, but you can be their spokesperson and advocate for them elsewhere. So those are all the different branches of respond. But like you said, of course, it is so important to acknowledge that person. And many times that's all they need. Excellent. And then what is there a next step to move on to relieve? If you can't, you know, you're, you've delivered this horrible news. It is maybe a challenge for the person, for the healthcare provider to stay in that room because it probably is easier to leave, you know, and it might be they're dealing with their own emotions or whatever triggers they may have related to that aside from the fact that it's a terrible situation. So how do they move beyond that? and really persevere into relief, which will ultimately give them some sort of relief themselves. Yeah, so Stephanie, the way I've built this model is you can either respond or resolve or relieve or all three. And sometimes doing one, by doing one, you're essentially doing the other. So when you're there and you're responding, you are providing relief, right? So they're all interconnected. This is just a mere guideline with the intention to remind everyone that in every difficult situation, you have options. That's the intention of this. Uh, human behavior is so complex and complicated that it's difficult to summarize it into a model, but this is just the guide. So relieve what I talk about is, especially in healthcare, we are most of the time, not always, focused on providing physical relief, whether it's with medication, whether it's, you know, as nurses providing a warm blanket or whatever it is to provide that physical comfort. But I want to empower people for everyone to know, and not just in healthcare, that there are other ways you can provide relief that are sometimes even more meaningful. The other aspects of providing relief is providing mental relief or emotional relief. So relief really breaks down into 
you can provide physical, emotional, or mental relief. And I have seen time and time again, whether it was at the bedside or during my workshops, that giving that mental or emotional relief is life-changing. You know, I, I deliver these concepts home always with real-life examples. And one of the situations that sticks out to me was that I was, I had a patient, wonderful gentleman that we were just, we had become friends and we were laughing and his son was at the bedside and I left the room. And as I was coming back, he went into a cardiac arrest and I had to call code blue. Now the son at the bedside, he didn't expect that the gentleman was doing fine and all of a sudden here he is in a cardiac arrest and as soon as you know I did what I needed to do and I asked for help and we started compressions after a colleague came over to take over from me I looked and I saw the son sitting there confused distressed overwhelmed I mean, you can fill in the blanks, right? To see that your father's possibly dying right in front of your eyes. And I went and I sat next to him and he was on the phone sobbing. And on the other side of the phone was his wife, who he was telling her as much as he could that what just happened. And she got into the car and it was in the evening and was driving over to the hospital and she lived an hour away. And as she was driving, she was worried about him and he was worried about her getting into a car accident, right? So worry is one of the things we've all experienced. So in that moment, I took the phone from him and I said, I'll talk to your wife and I'll calm him calm her down and I'll stay with you. So I told the wife, I'm here with your husband. And I told the husband, I'll stay on the phone with your wife. And although it was the end of the shift, I told the wife, I'll stay with your husband until you get here. So don't rush. Don't worry. That is also providing relief. Relief doesn't need to always be physical, but taking something off of someone's mind or whether it's a worry or whether it's something emotional. And in that situation, it was all mixed. He was upset, he was emotional, he was worried about his dad, about his wife, everything. So it's those moments where you can step in and the way I describe it, and when I teach nurses, physicians, and other healthcare professionals is, We've all heard of the expression, I have so much on my plate. And providing emotional or mental relief looks like taking something off of someone else's emotional or mental plate. Something that they're worried about, something that they're distressed about, you step in and you take that off their plate. And that is powerful. And that is a underrated form of relief which is often as powerful as the physical form if not more powerful at times 
Yeah, very, very well illustrated. What a great uh, metaphor. I think the visual of taking something physically off of somebody's plate is uh, helpful in, in understanding that. Uh, and then yet, uh, Panta, as, as I'm hearing that, I guess I'm thinking on behalf of our audience and colleagues, we're thinking, well, if I have to take something off of someone's plate, then is that a big commitment for me? Uh, one, do I know how to do it? Do I have the time to do it? Uh, do I have the resources to do it? So are we asking our fellow colleagues and, you know, in general, our, our, our loved ones and friends, uh, you know, to take on something that you think they're in a position to take on? Are they putting themselves potentially at risk in doing so? Uh, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people probably aren't doing so because they don't think they have the time to do so. So let's talk a little bit maybe about the barriers you perceive in taking that action. Yeah, I love that, Apurv, and no doubt there are many barriers, whether it's logistics, whether it's time, whether it's the workload, whether it's liability, we all know there are many barriers in healthcare. And the model is not meant to burden people with, this is what you need to do every single time. It's meant to empower people with, if you have the desire, to do something, here are some options. One of the elements and symptoms of burnout are helplessness. And I personally believe that the worst feeling we can experience is feelings of helplessness. It's not pain. If we have pain, physical, mental, emotional, and we have a way of getting out of it, then we're fine. But if we don't and we feel helpless, that leads to suffering. And healthcare professionals get into this field because they want to help. And if they're put in a position that they feel like, oh my God, this person's dying and it is what it is and I've already done compressions and there's nothing else I can do, they're going to feel helpless. So this whole model was intended to empower people with saying, you have options. Mm -hmm. It's not always about the outcome. It's not always about whether the patient's going to survive or not. It's not always about fixing the situation because a lot of us are solution oriented. And we feel like if we haven't solved a problem, and if we haven't fixed the problem, we have failed. And that feeling of failure, again, leads to burnout. So these options or this model is really intended to, for the person who says, I really want to do something. I just don't know what. It's also meant for the person who goes into a trauma response and freezes or wants to fight or flight, and they can't think of what to do. But if they are exposed to this model in that moment of panic, where that situation has triggered something for them, and they are now in their own trauma response, these tools can trigger a thought of, oh yes, there is something I can do other than leaving the room. I can stay here, and provide emotional support or mental support. 
that's what it's meant for. It's not meant to burden anyone. We all know healthcare professionals have a lot on their plate. It's really for the person that has the desire to do something, but they can't either because they don't have the tools or they're in panic. Along those same lines of, you just don't know what you're going to encounter in healthcare. And unfortunately, it's not always black or white. We can do this, you know, or we can stop this. So with resolve, which the word itself is kind of a concrete word, you know, it sounds like there's going to be a resolution in these, I'm assuming that the resolve doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to come to that neat tiny bow, but you're still able to help these people with one aspect or another. So in these situations, like with the example that you gave us where the dad was going into cardiac arrest, what does resolve look like in situations like that where you may not have a happy ending? Yeah, so Stephanie, again, another aspect of the model is to give people options for different scenarios. You know, in every scenario, the same intervention doesn't apply. So in that situation where this son was at the bedside panicking, me sitting there and responding and saying, oh, I understand what you're going through, that would have not been effective. Right, so we have these options to choose the one that is a good fit for the scenario. So I'll talk about results since you transitioned into it. And as, a, as an engineer, having grown up with other engineers, I'm all about finding solutions. I'm all about fixing things. My father always used to say, an engineer is not a person who knows math, but it's a person who solves problems. So with that in mind, I've always wanted to find pro solutions to problems. And I believe solving other people's problems is a form of compassion, but I believe it's one of the forms. And we have other options as well. So it's a subset of all the tools that we have. Sometimes we think that's the only tool we have. And if we don't fix or solve a problem, we have failed. That's only one of the portions of it. And to me, solving a problem can be done in three different ways. You can either solve a problem for someone, completely take over and just do it for them. Or you can do it with them. You can guide them and do it with them. Or you can them or show them how it's done and let them do it. So it's with them, for them, or just letting them do it themselves. It sounds like that technique might be particularly helpful for people who are maybe overcoming severe barriers. Maybe they've just had an amputation related to diabetes and they're trying to learn how to do life a new way. So maybe that would be something when you're helping them, you could you know, maybe do it for them, then do it with them and then help guide them as they're doing it on their own. And then similarly, if you're supporting the caregiver, it sounds like that might be a, a technique that would be helpful if they're trying to choose a, a skilled nursing facility or something like that. Absolutely. You got the idea, Stephanie. So one of the analogies I use is because 
it's difficult for us to see someone's emotional or mental pain and what they're worried about and what they're thinking. So it, it always helps to have a tangible example. One of the care team members that I always enjoyed working with were our dear PTs, physical therapists. I've learned a lot from them. And I have seen similar to what you said, how they provide different levels of assistance for the patient in different levels of the journey of recovery, right? So like when a patient is in bed post-op, it could be uh, them doing the range of motion exercises for the patient, you know, picking up their leg and rotating it and trying to bring back those range of motion. So that's doing it for them. You know, another step could be helping them sit at the edge of the bed that's doing it with them. And then hopefully as they progress and recover, it would be standing back and telling them how to use the walker and do it on their own, right? So we can have the same PT approach to other people in life with the understanding that when someone is under high amounts of stress, they're paralyzed. I often say when I teach that compassion is like that emotional cane that you either hold for someone or give to them until they can walk on their own. You know, people with mental illness that have invisible disabilities, you can't see that they're paralyzed, but they are. A patient that just got horrible news or a family member that just got a life-altering news is essentially paralyzed. So that level of support, whether you're doing it for them or with them or letting them do it, reminds me of a patient I had, which was a former surgeon at the hospital that I was practicing at, but he was now in his 80s. And he was there with um, an illness that we, and he was also end of life. And it was close to Christmas and he, he insisted on being discharged. He knew what's going on. And he said that I want to be home and I want to spend my last Christmas at home. And everybody was treating him well there, but it was understandable that he wanted to be at home. And his wife, which was also nervous and in trauma response, called me and said, I can't go. Oh, he needed a walker or an assistive device to be able to be discharged, just, just in the little parentheses. That's, that was one of the barriers to his discharge. And it was Christmas Eve, and the companies, the vendors that we were working with, they were gone. They were closed until the, last, the day after Christmas. And we couldn't get an assistive device for him. And the wife said, I can't take the responsibility of him coming home without an assistive device. Understandably so. He was like, what if he falls again? What am I going to do? So she was in her own stress response, right? And the patient here really wanted to go home. So I had a problem to solve in my mind. And what I thought is that the problem is we don't have an assistive device. So I told the wife, you know, what if you call some 24-hour pharmacies and see if any of them have a walker? And 
some people may be able to do that, but she was in a state that she couldn't, right? And so I said, okay, let me do it for you. And so I spent five minutes calling a few different pharmacies close to her house and found one that was open and had a walker. I put it on hold. I called the wife back and I said, this pharmacy has a walker. Would you be able to go get it? And she said, yes. And I got to discharge that gentleman and he got to spend his last Christmas at home by me fixing a small problem. Now, I always say in my workshops that compassion is an amplifier. You know, you give it a small noise and then it echoes it. For me, it was five minutes of my time and a few phone calls to a few pharmacies. For him, it translated into spending his last Christmas at the home that he was so proud of building next to his wife. So I would say it was well worth solving his problem. Wow. Yeah, very, really well articulated. It's a really powerful story, actually, Panda. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and uh, and actually, uh, what's what's reverberating for me a little bit, maybe going backwards uh, to another point you had just mentioned, uh, which seems to maybe open up the dimensions. I think I think what you're giving to us, to our viewers, to the people that you teach, is a sense of opening up options and becoming more creative with how we think. Uh, you know, you you had made the comment about uh, there's nothing more we can do. And sometimes we as clinicians, particularly doctors, tend to think that way when we run out of medical options, when we run out of, as you had said earlier, physical options, physical things we can do. And then we come to the end of the rope and say, well, there's nothing more we can do. But I think we're forgetting all the other mental and emotional options that we still have at our disposal. Even if we can't offer anything more physically, there is always something more mentally or emotionally that we could do. And so I, I really like this, uh, these analogies and the, the case studies you've illustrated that help us understand. Maybe there's, there's just a matter of just thinking a little bit differently and opening up options. Um, so I guess it's maybe sharing with you a, a reflection that's coming to me, uh, but maybe you can tease that out a little bit more. Uh, is it, do we feel like we just lack in ingenuity and creativity in coming up with these options? Or we don't often think about mental and emotional as valid, uh, you know, areas of our of our activity. Uh, you know, wh wh why do you think we're not able to ourselves get to come to that point where we can think about helping people in many different ways? I love your critical thinking, Corb. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of everything. A big piece of it is people's trauma response. You know, when they're in a stressful situation, they get stuck in their own trauma response and they become paralyzed and they can't think creatively in that moment. But if they have a roadmap, if they have a recipe, if they have a framework that they've been taught, then they can tap into that and they don't have to engineer it in that moment of crisis themselves. We all know that we're not creative when in crisis. We're in survival mode, right? And as species, when we're in survival mode, we're not creative. We're meant to fight or flight. So this is meant to give that person that's in crisis and survival mode 
options that are just like on a plate, here you go, just use one of them, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing that you refer to, which is absolutely true, we live in a culture that's very solution oriented. We live in a culture in healthcare that's all about productivity and outcomes. And providing someone emotional or mental relief is not tangible. Often people are not appreciated for it. They're not acknowledged for it. You know, no one came to me after that shift and praised me for getting a patient home on Christmas Eve. None of my supervisors, you know, nurse manager, no one. But that's not why you do it, right? It's invisible. But you do it because that reward that you feel is the antidote of burnout. It is what fuels you. It is what gives you purpose. It is what makes you go home and say, I made a difference today. It is what makes you go home and say, I lost that patient, but I was able to console their family member and be there for them in the most difficult day of their life. So one of the things that I'm trying to advocate is for people to understand compassion as a well-being tool for the person that gives it. It is the very thing that refuels and replenishes the person who provides it and reconnects them to purpose. And it's the only thing that can serve as the antidote to the exhaustion. And it requires a shift in mindset of going from, did I provide a fix? To, did I provide relief? Was I able to make an intolerable situation a little more tolerable? And if that's our own personal measure, whether it is appreciated at the organization level or not, if that is just your own tool to self-reflect, that person who chooses to practice with that mentality and understands that we're not there to fix everything. We are mortal beings. Patients are going to die. Disaster is going to happen. And not associate those with failure, but understand I'm going home knowing I made someone's life a little easier and I helped them suffer a little less. Then that will make them want to do more of that. That's amazing. And you talked about how providing compassion is like an amplifier. And so one of the things that you've done that is amplifying your impact is creating an app where people can go on and get live support. You said there's a coaching corner, some wellness aspects. So why don't you tell us what the app is and how that's going to help with this mission? Yes, the Compassion Clinic is now uh, an app which people can download for healthcare professionals to become members. It's really a central hub for healthcare professionals to come together. And in the sessions that I host called Talk Time, those sessions are where people come together, they talk about the struggles that they have as 
leaders, as clinicians, as care team members. And then we all pour into one another using the compassion model of respond, resolve, and relieve so that it's a, it's a objective place where you get something out of it. It's not just a place where you come and you talk about your problems and you go home. Although sometimes that could, you know, feel good as well, but you have your best friend for that. But to really come into a community where there are your peers and they understand what it takes for you to be in those scrubs for 12 hours or 15 hours or 18 hours, and they get it and they provide you with respond, resolve, and relief, it's very powerful. Other features in the app are like you said, a coaching corner where healthcare professionals can get spot coaching from uh, experts. There's another feature where uh, wellness feature, which is live streamed sessions of mind body practices. We all need yoga, meditation, mindfulness, breath work, all of that to be able to be grounded. And in a world where human connection as big of a treasure as it is, it's fading away. Uh, I've made an intention to make sure that every interaction within that app uh, is live streamed. And there's always a human to human connection because that in, a, in and of itself is healing. Just being in the presence of another human being that doesn't judge you and understands you and is there for you like a proof said at the beginning and acknowledges you, that in and of itself is healing. So my intention and my goal and vision, not just for healthcare, but for the world, is to tap into that healing power of compassion and provide it to one another, whether it's in healthcare, for our family, for our neighbors, anywhere in the world. Thank you so much for being here and sharing more about your amazing work. Thank you. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.